Thank you to our choir, to so many, to by his grace. And by the way, I want you to know that Billy the bass that was down there on that end, he's only going on 86 coming up now. And here, thank you all so much for your, for your presentation, sharing with us this morning. First thing I want you to know, I know what time it is, and I know you know what time it is. So don't worry about that. We're going to make it through our... Uh, make it through our time together here and get you on time to Sunday school. So let's move on into Romans chapter 5 and hear the, the, Paul's reading for us today from his letter to the Romans, his most complete work of his theology and uh, his understanding of the faith. I'll begin with verse 1 of chapter 5. Let's hear what God would say to us through the scripture today. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves His love for us And that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, We even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hmm. Well, as with much of Paul's teaching, today's passage consists of a string of theological ideas, one leading to another. And this sort of scripture leads us uh, or lends itself to what we call expository preaching or that kind of verse-by-verse approach to to a passage of scripture. So we're going to do that today. We're going to kind of take it one verse at a time or maybe a couple of verses at a time and try to find the meat in each part of the passage and really come down to what it has to say to us. Because Paul, like William Faulkner, who tended to write these really long sentences just full of conditional clauses and all these different ideas. Uh, His sentences were so long and complicated, many people have a hard time reading William Faulkner. But if you really get down to it and if you break it apart, you get down to what the meat of a sentence has to say. So we're going to do that in today's passage. In today's passage, we get four big ideas developed by accompanying important concepts along the way. So let's take a look at the first two verses of the scripture today. 
Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to his grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. You see what I mean? It kind of goes on, it goes on, it's got all these ideas, but what we really want to get down to in this couple of verses for us today is that we have peace with God through Christ, and We're boasting in our hope. Now, Paul says, as part of this big idea, he's saying we're justified by our faith. We're reconciled to God through Christ, and it is our hope to share in the glory of God. In other words, we're standing in a good place. We've got peace. We've got peace in our lives. We're reassured in our lives. The hymn that we sang as we started the service today, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation. I'm purchased of God. I'm born of His Spirit. I'm washed in His blood. We're reassured in our faith. We have peace through Christ at work in our lives. John Wesley called that feeling of peace, that understanding of God's presence with you all the time as being assurance. We have that blessed assurance in our lives when we understand the gift of Christ that is given to us, the gift of wondrous love that we're looking at all through this series. We have peace with God through Christ. But not only that, we're boasting in our hope. Our hope is to share in glory. In the future, sure, but that future starts now. Remember, it's not about longevity. It's not about everlasting as much as it is about abundance. Remember what Jesus says in John's 10th chapter, 10th verse. He says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundant. That's right. It's not so much about how many days. It's not about how many months, how many years. It's not about eternity as much as it is about abundant life. And life can be everlasting, but it can be everlasting in hell just as it can in heaven. And what we want is God's abundant life. We have peace with God through Christ. And we're boasting in our hope of this future that God provides. Take a look at verses 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. What's the big idea here? He's saying not only that, but we even boast in our sufferings. We don't just boast in our hope. We boast in our sufferings. Now, I don't know how many of you uh, wear blue during March Madness. But my son is just overcome by blue with the blue devils. 
Now, that's not a very good church phrase, is it? But the Duke Blue Devils, fine former Methodist institution, now independent, has still a great seminary that uh, some of our young pastors go to. But he, my son, I've told you before, he's just infected with blue. And he would call me on the telephone and he would say, Dad, I'm on national TV. And I'd say, really, where are you sitting? He says, well, look for me. I'm wearing blue. Well, so is everybody else in the place. And they're all jumping up and down. Oh, you know how they do. Well, um, as Benjamin watches Duke basketball games, if they're, whether they're on national TV or what. It, if he's at home with us, you know, we're sitting on the couch, we're sitting in the chair, and we're watching the basketball game, and we're watching them all jumping at Well, he cannot sit down. He stands up, and he's in front of the TV, and I watch him. I watch him every once in a while. I'll see him doing this, you know. There's no paint involved or anything like that, no body paint, but he's just infected with blue. But you know what happened just a day or so ago. Duke lost to lowly Mercer University. And he's suffering. He's suffering. Paul says, though, even in our suffering, we boast. Even in our suffering, we boast. You remember what the early church was like as Matthew was writing. The early church was going through a period of persecution. And in fact, in I believe it was 64 AD, what happened in Rome? It burned. And who got blamed? The Christians. Nero brought the place down, blamed it on the Christians. They were an easy target. It seemed that they went off to themselves. They were off on their own. They just kind of had their own little thing going here, and everybody was a bit suspicious. So he just blamed it on the Christians. They were living with that memory. They all remembered, and they'd been suffering ever since at the hands of the Romans, of the Jews also. You remember... 9-11, don't you? You remember what you were doing when you found out what was taking place in New York City, don't you? We all suffered that day. And whenever we think about that, we still suffer. Some of you remember what you were doing when you heard about Pearl Harbor. And you suffered then. You might have been young, not really truly understood what was going on, but you suffered then because you knew other people were suffering. And when you hear those words today, you still suffer. They suffered every time they said, remember the Alamo, because they remembered, because they knew of those who had died at the Alamo. The memory lasted for years Oh, and we know how to say it. Remember the Alamo. We remember what happened at the Alamo. Maybe it's lost some of the the pain that's associated with it. But we remember situations like that. And we suffer every time we think of them. That's what was going on in Matthew's church. And when Paul was writing, it was even earlier, as Paul wrote, 
He was sharing what was taking place in that early church, the suffering that was taking place in that early church. There toward the end of his life, the people were suffering all around him. Suffering leads to endurance. And endurance leads to character. And character produces hope. And all this leads to our hope, which is encouraged by the outpouring of God's love. And the question for us is, how are we suffering? How are you suffering today? And if you're suffering in some way, perhaps it's something that's happened not too long ago, and the memory of it every time it comes up just pains you all over again, then put a Bible marker in this passage of your Bible and remember that we can boast even in our sufferings and that God works through our suffering to produce endurance and character and even hope in our lives. If you're discouraged, put a Bible marker in Romans 5. Take a look at verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. The big idea, we were weak, but Christ died for the ungodly. We were weak. But Christ died for the ungodly. Now, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I preached on the passage that comes just after this. And Paul goes about explaining what what the ungodly are like, where they came from. You remember, there is that Adam in us, in each one of us. There is that fallenness in each one of us. And while we'd like to identify with the victims all the time, uh, we cannot fail to identify with the perpetrator because it is in us. Adam is in us. The fallenness is in us. We were weak, but Christ died for the ungodly. And Paul says, rarely will will someone die for a righteous person even. But you know how that scripture passage goes. No man hath greater love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's right. But rarely does that happen. Does someone die even for a good person? Rarely does someone choose to die for their friends. But think about this. Imagine what it's like when a person dares to die even for the ungodly. Christ died for us sinners, proving God's love for us. Take a look at verses 9 through 11. Much more surely then, now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The big idea, better than that, better than the fact that Christ died for us who were sinners, better than that, we're convinced we will be saved from God's wrath. He reconciled us while we were sinners through Christ's death. (laughs) 
how much more will we be saved by his life? He has already died for us, Paul says. He's already died for us who are sinners. Think about what will happen because of his life. Now, in order to understand what Paul is saying here, you have to think a little bit about the the, uh, concept of atonement. And Paul uh, gets to it in several different directions. Just briefly, let me mention uh, three. One is the whole concept of the sacrificial lamb in which Christ makes the sacrifice. Uh, And so we are not sacrificed. The other is that Christ pays the price on our behalf. Whatever it is that God requires, it's a transaction that takes place. The transactional theory of atonement says that Christ pays the price for us. We don't have to pay. But then he also, don't forget that Paul also says that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So as he precedes us in death, he also precedes us in life. And the sign of the resurrection is a sign for what is available to us, the faithful. Even though we're sinners, as we are justified through our faith, then we experience the same life that Christ experienced in the resurrection. When I was in seminary, I had a professor named Rod Hunter. He was our uh, professor of pastoral care. And someone asked him a question in class one time. says, well, we were talking about uh, funeral services, memorial services. And somebody says, well, what do you do when somebody dies and you know that they were just the most despicable person in all the world and the family calls and wants you to do the funeral, what do you do? (laughs) That's a very practical question, don't you think? Um, You know, I'm looking around at some of you and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to (laughs) say. Not really. But he said, he said, Here's, he said, I had a, a funeral like that one time, and I was involved with some pastors from another denomination. And we got together, and we were talking about, well, what were we? Everybody, all of us knew him. He was well known in the community for the kind of man that he was. So we met to talk about what we would do. One of the pastors from the other denomination said, well, let's just read lots of Scripture. <laughs> But Rod said, what we fail to see here is the power of the resurrection. Because, see, we look at death as the final blow. We look at death as the decision point. And if we haven't made up our minds, if we haven't, if we haven't given ourselves to Christ, then it's over and done with. But we forget about the resurrection. The resurrection is that thing about Christ that goes beyond everything we can ask or think or imagine or understand. And if we would limit God to what God can do in the midst of human life, then we're trying to put God in a box and trying to put resurrection in a box when resurrection blows the doors off in a way that we can't 
imagine or think. Let's talk about resurrection. Let's talk about what God can do. Let's talk about the possibilities that God lays out before us. Let's boast in what God's glory can be. That's what we need to do today. And as we come to a a time and the close of our service and we sing our closing hymn, we need to be thinking about the God blowing the doors off of death, God blowing the doors off all the limitations that we would put on him, God blowing the door, blowing open the box that we try to put him in because that's what Paul was doing in saying, I'm going to boast I'm going to boast not only that I have peace with, Christ, with God through Christ. I'm going to boast in my sufferings. I'm going to boast in the glory to come. I'm going to boast in the fact that I have a future of abundant, abundant life. We'll sing this morning as we close when we all get to heaven. And as we sing, let's sing the first and the last stanzas of that. And as we sing, maybe God's just calling you to remember the gift of resurrection that's coming. And even though we're not quite there yet, even though we know that Easter is around the corner, we have this wondrous love that paints the picture for us that gives us an understanding that we don't have to be bound by the suffering we experience. Let's stand and sing together. If God's calling you to respond, you do so as we sing.